This week's guest is Shamez Amlani, who joins us from Toronto, Ontario. Shamez is the co-owner of both La Palette and Drum Taberna, both on Queen West and downtown Toronto. Shamez is a very passionate restaurateur and small business owner, and this passion comes through in our interview with him. We talk about Shamez's start in the industry when he got his first job as a busser at the age of 19, his desire and the idea to open up his first restaurant, La Palette, the inspirations behind Drum Taberna, and how his favorite role in his work is as a bartender. As Shamez pointed out, small business makes the culture of a city. If you're ever in Toronto, definitely visit both spots. You can also check them both online at La Palette Queen West and at Drum Taberna, or check out the show notes for all the links. Enjoy the show. We're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. What is going on? Oh, not too much. Just getting ready for the Christmas holidays coming up. So, uh, yeah, doing all that sorts of stuff, picking up presents, uh, putting up lights. And you? What about you? I'm not doing any of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Scrooge. I think I saw that movie a few times. Uh, How things going with you? Things are great. Things are great. Yeah. (laughs) We're in full Christmas party season at the bars, so that is good news. Nice. Lots of good parties scheduled. Yeah, most of them are... Yeah, we we had a good weekend at two of the spots. Oh, actually, we have some breaking news for the podcast. Oh. Now that I think about it, so Babylon and uh, Babylon Sisters and Sugar both did great this weekend. Argyle not so much, and we have made the decision to close the doors at the old Argyle Arms. So, oh really? Yeah, unfortunately, we made a good run at it, but uh, just did not work out. So. This is the first business I've actually had to close down. A little sad, but uh, it is what it is. It's yeah. a it's tough, tough way to make a living these days. Yeah, so, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's all right. So if you're listening to this right now, it'll be Monday the, what, the 18th. 18th and the 22nd, Friday, this coming Friday, will be the last night at the Argyle. So come by and uh, drink drink the rest of the booze that we've got left. <laughs> and what uh yeah so it'll be friday the 22nd of december will be the last night for the argyle so if you're listening to this come by for that for sure um if you're in the kitchen waterloo area sugar run is the speakeasy in downtown kitchener at sugar run bar on instagram and babylon sisters wine bar uptown waterloo at babylon sisters bar on instagram check both those places out and uh check the argyle out while you can you got uh you got one night left so that's in Preston, Ontario. Aside from that, if you uh, like what we're doing here on the show, you can uh, follow us, you can rate us, you can review us. That helps quite a bit. And if you want to be a guest on the show, info at theindustrypodcast.club or you can DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram where you will find the amazing artwork from our man Zach Hanna at zachhanna.co for all your graphic arts needs. Perfect. Yeah, anything else you want to talk about? No, I got not, nothing much else to add. Okay, great. That's the usual. <laughs> got that right. Let's get to our guest. Shamaza Milani is here with us, coming to us from Toronto. How are you? Fantastic. Mm. I was just listening to you, and not to forget, then the 22nd is also the first official day of winter. So, Oh, so oh is that right? You well, can... per- perfect time to shut a bar down. <laughs> Bring it in with style, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so you know a little bit about the pains and trials and travails of uh, owning your own restaurant and bar, as you currently own two yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those places? Yeah, well, it's it's 
funny. Life uh, is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. That's, <laughs> yeah. as, as I think that's credited to John Lennon. But yeah, I got a summer job as a busboy back in 1989. I thought uh, that's going to be a fun thing to do and uh, quickly discovered that it's a, it's the passion of my life and quickly got behind the bar and started slinging drinks and and learned to, to love this career. I ended up spending a year traveling in uh, Europe. It was a very exciting time. It was... Uh, 1990, so a year after the Berlin Wall came down, oh, and spent a lot nice. of time hiking around, traveling in Poland, Hungary, Romania, Czechoslovakia, while in Western Europe, uh, getting uh, jobs in bars in uh, Berlin, in Amsterdam, and in Kent, in Belgium, and eventually, uh, I ended up eventually moving to Paris and and working in in bars and cafes, and wow. and uh, in 2000, uh, 11 years after getting my first restaurant job as a drunk busboy, I like to say, <laughs> uh, opened a place uh, with my wife and a uh, chef partner. We met working at Le Select Bistro on Queen Street West. And uh, we thought, you know, we're we're going to shoot an arrow at the moon. We're probably not going to hit it, but we had uh, saved six grand a piece. We found a little hole in the wall in Kensington Market that was uh, for rent for 1100 bucks a month and said, let's go for it. Let's turn this little ratty old uh, Chinese takeout into a, a French bistro that clearly looks like a French bistro crammed into a ratty old Chinese takeout. <laughs> so it, I felt like we were a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, we got really lucky and, and it was it was an exciting and tumultuous time to open a place. And here we are 23 years later, still running that place. That's crazy. And so congratulations, first of all, because I, like, I know as well as anyone how difficult that is to do, especially maintaining it through the pandemic, etc. But like even just being open that long and in Toronto where there's so many different choices, that's uh, it's quite a credit to you. No, it's it, it's it's been pretty wild. Imagine then the year after we opened was 9-11. Mm. Uh, in 2003, there was SARS that purportedly touched oh. down in Toronto at, uh, at a bar about uh, 10 doors from us in Kensington Market. Uh, 2008, that financial recession, we've been through a lot of big hurdles. But uh, but I, you know, being someone who works in my own place, like that's the fun part is, is being ambassador to good times, creating people... Uh, you know, not only do you get to hang up your own troubles at the door when you work in this business, but you also get to be that host in that third place, you know, the what is not home and what is not work where where you can be free. And there's that's the most exciting part for me. Certainly running a business like a restaurant, a bar is not about uh, dealing with broken furnaces and water pipes. It's not about talking to the CRA on the phone or dealing with accounts and lawyers. The fun is making the magic within these four walls where uh, another universe exists. And, and, and that's nothing that I'd ever grow tired of. So whenever we've come across these hard times, it, as much as it sucks that we've had to let staff go or downsize, or as you know, when the pandemic came, we lost, we lost everything. Um, if we hadn't been in the guts of this thing, doing it ourselves, we wouldn't still be around. So uh, as much as it has been tough times, I, I wouldn't know what else to do. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy to think about like going through all of those different uh, things and keeping it going. But you've always been like a working owner, it sounds like. So it's interesting to imagine all those things you just mentioned about like dealing with the CRA or the furnace or the pipes i'm like wow it does seem like that's my job but, <laughs> but, yeah, but at uh, the same yeah. time you know if you're if you're doing it right your bar is is a community center it is yeah. it's much more than the sum of its parts and mm -hmm. it's where people come to to forget their troubles and and be swept away and and for me being a bartender is a magical job where you introduce 
strangers to each other. You create opportunities for them to meet and and friends come and become deeper friends and their bonds grow thicker in 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 your in those four beautiful walls. Uh, but it's also a place where strangers meet and the accidental can happen. And that's where magic, magic lies. And so very soon, as, as I mentioned, very soon after opening the original location in Kensington Market, a little hole in the wall bistro, 24 chairs. Uh, we became involved in the community. We started, um, I, I, I hate cars. I, I live in downtown Toronto. And uh, as much as cars are convenient, uh, having had the pleasure of living in great cities of the world in Amsterdam, Berlin, Paris, uh, you see what public space can be. And you see what communal living is. And that the, the city itself is a shared space. And uh, I, I you know, just wanted people to imagine that another another Toronto is possible. So I started asking around. We threw some parties in the street where uh, we fed parking meters. We took each parking spot and had a band playing in one, free bike repairs in another, Gaspacho in a third. Samba band showed up and and uh, and 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 they blocked traffic in every direction and there were people dancing in the streets and when the next day came around you couldn't look at the, those streets and not imagine your kid dancing in the street with, with a bunch of strangers you couldn't imagine how, what it was like for people to like put their groceries down and forget and and meet a stranger and and maybe go home with them <laughs> you know, as much as anything else let's face it our job is getting people laid yeah. <laughs> What ended up happening is we created these uh, street events called Pedestrian Sundays in Kensington Market. I went to all the neighbors, to the shop owners and to the residents and said, hey, maybe sometimes, once a month, can once a month, can we throw a party in the street and have fun and there will be street food and there will be bands playing and we can just forget about how mundane Toronto is every day. Today is not a day for construction. Today is not a day just for deliveries. Today is a day of, of fun where we, we take back our city. And and that that became uh, another element where, you know, at a dinner party in your house, you throw dinner for 10, 12 people. At your bar or restaurant, you make a good time for 100 people, 200 people in a night. And here we started throwing events in cooperation with the city of Toronto, with our local uh, merchants and residents. There was this accidental, accidental community building element where people got to know each other as we threw a party every month and invited people from all over the city and all over the world. We imagined what our streets could be without uh, without cars and with more fun and culture and play. And uh, that you know, that door was opened by the fact that I opened a restaurant and I became a community activist and leader. And, and then eventually we brought in, we brought in a car that was dead and we cut it open and filled it with dirt and planted trees in it and got local artists to, to, to paint it. And then the city told us we have to take it away. And then we got it towed back. And then it eventually it got to stay as public art became this iconic symbol of wow. Kensington Market. So all these things happened as a result of this restaurant. And it's not incongruous because we are ambassadors to good times. And I think it's nice that we got to, to have this experience where that's spilled out onto the street beyond the doors of the actual establishment itself. And, and that is something that we still celebrate to this day, 20 years later. And it's it's something that I eventually gave birth to the, the new place that we opened six years ago, which is a live music venue, an Eastern European tavern, but with world music at its heart, all these all these good people who got to know samba band playing Afro-Brazilian drums with 5,000-year-old rhythms from, from Africa 
uh, Spanish flamenco, New Orleans party brass orchestras, Eastern European folk bands. We we started to throw events. You know, we rented halls and and brought diverse musical communities together. We brought their fans to the same room so they could check out each other's music, meet each other. There's that getting laid part again. Um, <laughs> and, and and then the bands themselves start to collaborate. So they, it's, it's a very uh, intense and beautiful mixture of things that sort of spontaneously erupted something that I feel like our city was right for. And what better place than Toronto, where people from all over Canada end up here and then people from all over the world as well. And so when when we opened Drum Taverna in 2018, it it, uh, it was just like a part of that progression. It, it had now this vibe, this community spirit had a permanent home. And and there you go. Today, the place is wildly successful. We have a 4 a.m. license every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, kitchen or bar till 4. So we're also uh, doing things to help us join the ranks of great cities around the world and, and bolster and create a nighttime economy where we make jobs not just for the the door people and the kitchen staff and the bartenders, but also the the musicians and artists that come there. And we create a place that's very industry oriented. It's a, you know, when we work nine, to, we don't work nine to five, Monday to Friday. So what do we do when we finish work at, to, at three in the morning? Do we go home and go straight to bed? No, we need a place. We need our third place too. And so it's a, it's a very industry focused place where people who work in local bars and cafes also have a place to go and cut loose and, and be themselves and remember why why they do this thing that we love so much. Mm. I'm sort of interested, like, how do you go about getting the 4 a.m. extension? Is that a pain in the ass through the city or? It has been in the past. And and certainly I understand that it, it should be and could be if all, your mission is only to, you know, get people wasted and make as much money as possible. Right. Then, then the powers that be should make it harder for you and they should scrutinize you. But instead, um, we've got the support of our city councillor. We've got the support of the Toronto Music Office. And we show them what our programming is every month. We culturally diverse programming in a very open and safe space. That's a, it's a very queer friendly space. It's, it's a very friendly space for women to feel safe. The, the scene, the culture of the place is, is a very unique vibe. And, and it's also a place that um, I think it's important when we talk about things like diversity, not just to look at ethnic diversity, but to also uh, look at diversity of economic background and look at diversity of ages. And if you've created a place where where little kids and 20-somethings and 40-somethings and 60-somethings all feel comfortable. If you've created a place where it doesn't matter how much money or how little money you have, you can come. If you're broke, pay what you can. It's like Marxist door policy. You don't have to uh, put a million bucks in the jar. But if you make a lot of money, you can put 50 bucks, 100 bucks into the into the hat for the artists and musicians. The artists are always well recompensated. That's something super important for us is make sure that artists are treated like, like gods and eat and drink and have a good time. All of these things have to come together to make this magic formula. And I, and I think that as much as I can complain about how regressive or backwards our, our society can be in so many ways here, I think that's something where the city of Toronto has actually done something right for a change and, and allowed us to safely express uh, uh, another way of living, another way of being the, the, than, than what is considered culturally normal in a more Presbyterian and conservative place like Ontario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. You were working at Le Select, which is a very famous 
French restaurant in Toronto, uh, fine dining. So that's like kind of ultra fine dining there on Queen West. So that's where you kind of got your bar training experience, would you say? Yeah, exactly. I was there from 89 to 90. I went traveled for a year in Europe, came back from 91 to 93. And then in 93, I, I, I just had had it with here. I, you know, I'm like so many people in our industry had just fallen into a rut of drinking too much and not seeing a future and, 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 just partying every day and 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 I wanted to do something completely different and reset my life so in 93 at the age of 23 I just gave away everything I owned and I moved to a city where I didn't know anybody a city that I already knew that I had an affinity to Paris mm-hmm. uh, and 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 started a, a new life from scratch there and eventually ended up uh, becoming a manager of a small bar there uh, where I it was a little rock and roll bar I I fancied myself a, a writer I wrote songs and I got together with some interesting people I met working at a jazz club there. And, and so I I was playing with a band there and then I moved to Poland and in Poland, I didn't work in the bar industry in Poland. I went there to write a book, but I ended up getting sucked into this other universe where I toured with a blues band and taught (laughs) English and all sorts of other funny things. And that's where I met my sweetheart who is Australian and Polish and eventually ended up back in Paris working at this bar. And so that just, it became a thing. And finally, when I came back to Toronto in 97, I told my wife, look, we're only passing through town. We're not going to stay. We're going to travel. We're going to see the world. We're going to do all sorts of things. And in the meantime, I knew that my career was going to keep on uh, ascending in the restaurant industry. And that's where I got more interested in in wine, in, uh, in the management end of things. So from 97 to 2000, I was the bar manager at Le Select Bistro. And, and finally, that reached a ceiling. And I thought, well, this is it. It's the only thing to do next is open my own place. Now, I got to tell you, the original business plan was pretty funny. Uh, people looked at us and said, you're absolutely nuts. I have this idea. The bar that I worked in Paris was in an old anarchist neighborhood called the Butokai, the Hill of Quails. And it was uh, a place that came to much prominence during the, the Paris Commune. Uh, in the Paris Commune happened when the Prussian army had left Paris. Uh, Paris was defeated. Uh, but all these soldiers were there, all these uh, people were there, and they decided to to form a revolutionary society. And they declared themselves independent from the state. And they, their demands were the abolition of child slavery, equality for women, and a separation of God and the state. So they created this free city of Paris. It didn't last that long, less than three months, but it was the inspiration to people around the world uh, who looked at, uh, at at a society that, that could be possible that hadn't existed yet. Uh, so the restaurant across the street from the bar that I worked, uh, Le Temps des Cerises, the time of the cherries, named after an anarchist uh, poem about, uh, uh, about that head time uh, in those days of the Paris Commune was a co-op restaurant. So imagine there were 13 waiters and cooks. They each owned exactly one thirteenth of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they would make all their decisions uh, in a non-hierarchical fashion. That They would have meetings once a month and the cook guy would say, oh, well, how about this dish? And the sommelier would be like, how about this wine? And they'd all vote on everything. Uh, and I thought that was fascinating. So I had this business model for the original La Palette where I would get 10 waiters and and cooks together and a bartender or two like me. And we'd each pitch in 2000 bucks a piece. 
And uh, 10 of us would have 20 grand and we'll open this co-op restaurant and we'll learn something about what it is what it is to run a restaurant. We'll volunteer two shifts a week, keep our day jobs and do something radical and different. Of course, everyone came to my house, ate the food, drank the wine and said, you're, you're nuts. This is like communism or something. You're, you're insane. Why would you even propose anything like that? You're not interested. So when the dust settled, it was still just me and my wife and the chef. There's three of us going, well, everyone thinks we're nuts. Instead of doing it that way, let's just open the place anyway. And sure right. enough, it took off. It, it it took off. It it and and all of those people who came back to us later on, kicking themselves in the pants, saying, uh, can we buy in now?" We're like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> but do you think it, that that concept? Enough, though, I got to yeah. tell you that yeah. what ended up happening, what, what came back to in 2018 when I saw the place for rent at Queen and Augusta, what became Drum Taberna, the Eastern European Tavern, all of those things came back to roost. And I invited my staff to be partners in the business. So we got to do that co-op situation. After all, I picked uh, four of my staff and said, listen, guys, you get to have a share in the business. You don't have to put in any money and just work off your shares, keep track of your hours, and you can own your own bar. It's not a time that we can open a business for 20 grand anymore. Right. Uh, hard to be a young person who's got an entrepreneurial spirit, but let's do this thing. And it, it's I call it venture communism, where we've taken <laughs> the best things about capitalism and the best things about communism, not the worst things, and put them right. together. Uh, so anyway, please, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, 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 no. I, I was going to ask you a question that you just answered. So... <laughs> Okay, at the new spot, so it's more of a co-op style place, but are you still running it in that way that everyone gets a vote on anything that happens in there? Well, in fact, what... <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you asked the hard <laughs> question. <laughs> because eventually, you know, one of, one of the team ended up uh, dropping out before we opened. Another one moved to the States to, to work at... Uh, at uh, 11 Madison, uh, a big famous restaurant in New York City, and then went to California to study physics. Uh, another great pal, and we're all still friends today, moved uh, out east to Halifax to start a family. So as the dust settled, it was still me and my wife and Misha, who is now an equal partner as well. So it's the three of us that technically are the owners of the place. And in okay. fact, I spend most of my days and most of my time running La Palette, and then Misha is the one that runs Drum Taberna. So as as wonderful as that concept is, it's not that it failed, but it saw its natural life cycle through. Uh, but uh, that said, the the sort of the spirit and the ideals of of creating a safe, inclusive space for people, the 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 way that uh, our team and and all the artists and and the customers too feel in a place like uh, specifically Drum Taberna, but also La Palette, is a very community center oriented vibe it, it is a very family business we all not only do we work together we hang out together after work we go to each other's houses for dinner like the the that, that spirit and and something like the pandemic where we you know we turned la palette into a wine shop and we turned drum taberna into an eastern european deli and, and grocery store eventually with bands playing on the roof as we sold hot wine on the sidewalk and people could be safely distanced from each other uh we we just got closer as as a family in essence uh, in those things. So yeah, on the one hand, that co-op model didn't necessarily work, but who's left of us? We still like to build consensus and come to decisions, not by not by outvoting each other or vetoing each other, but by holding hands and making sure that we're going in a direction that we want to go together. Mm -hmm. 
it's it is a lot easier to make those kind of decisions when you're sort of view yourself as a family and like or or like close friends because like it's very easy to clash with somebody in a business partner relationship if you're not maybe in that sort of close relationship but it's um, when you're fighting with your family you know you're going to get over it at the end of the day right but if you're just like a business partner who maybe you're not that close with you get in an argument about a major business decision sometimes you can't come back from that stuff yeah exactly like you know dreams diverge our, our first business as i mentioned it was with our chef uh, mike harrington we were great friends i worked as bartender and he worked in the kitchen we were in our 20s and we we're having a good time and, and one day at like the jazz festival uh, the the colony hotel behind city hall used to have these 4am licenses you could smoke indoors at the time and it was this great jam session scene and we got drunk and said we should open our own restaurant together one day and when that idea still stuck. It's like, remember when we were talking about that last night? Yeah, I still want to do that. Yeah, me too. It starts with these dreams, but there's a lot of hard work that follows. And eventually, your dreams might diverge. By the time 2005 came rolling around, he had a new uh, partner. They wanted to move to Central America to start a place there. We weren't necessarily vibing in in what we wanted to do i was getting more involved in in activism and and and, and that direction and community involvement he just wanted to stick more to to traditional restaurant kind of stuff and we found an amicable way to say goodbye to each other and so in fact even you know the same business as it exists for 23 years is as you know is not the same business if you don't constantly no. And change, then you go the way of the dodo. So at, at 2005, our rent went from 11, 12, 13, 14, 1500 to 25, 28, 31. By the time we left Kensington Market, our rent was five grand a month. So there's Ooh. gentrification. If you as a business owner don't own your building, if you didn't have yeah. the privilege of being able to start a business with millions of dollars to buy a property and imagine downtown Toronto. It's nuts, man. Mm -hmm. We started a business for 20 grand. Our second business cost us 80 grand to start in a building that cost $5 million. Our Mm -hmm. third business cost us a quarter million dollars to start in a building that's worth $8 million. Mm -hmm. As, as regular owner operators of small business who are not commercial property owners there's something we're always chasing that it feels like we'll never catch you know i'm 54 now i don't expect to retire in 10 years right. i expect until the day i die and i love it um and i don't think and i don't know if we'll ever have be able to afford commercial property in downtown toronto and and so you know just right now as we speak construction is going on uh, for a subway stop that's going to open a couple of hundred meters from here in five years I don't know. (laughs) So while the property values keep going up and the taxes keep going up and the cost of everything keeps going up, uh, that, that is carrot dangling that being able to actually own the building you own the restaurant in that we will probably never catch. Uh, uh, As we were kind of victims of our own success in in the market where we got chased out of, we couldn't afford it anymore. You know, the silent partner in any business like this, a silent partner in any bar restaurant, if you don't own your own building, is your landlord. And so if you have a a good relationship with your landlord and they're happy to make a a living and not a killing, if they don't need to like keep on pressing you for more and more, if they get what's fair from you as rent, you pay what's fair and you have a good relationship, well, then hopefully you'll have that longevity, right? I don't know if you own your own building or not. I wish. I think about exactly what you're saying. And and the problem is, 
you're, it's very rare now to find a building owner who wants to have that kind of partnership with the the tenants. And so we're all struggling. This is a very difficult uh, business to make a lot of money in. It's uh, if you don't own the building, if you own the building, that's the dream, like you said. But if not, we're all just renting yeah. off the, off these people. Yeah. So and and if you don't have uh, like I have a great relationship with one of my landlords and a terrible relationship with another one. And it's, and the difference is crazy. Like you can like yeah. in one, I'm getting sweated and constantly for more money all the time. And the other one, the guy's willing to work with me. Right. And just and recognizing that. And even like, I had a good relationship with those places that we were talking about earlier that just closed, but like sometimes it doesn't even matter. There's so many other yeah. factors that go into this that rent's just your biggest expense every month. It's not it's certainly not the only one. So <laughs> you know, so I, and this is why people need to support smaller businesses if you want these places to continue to exist, right? Like I'm going through it now. But if you have had success for now, like 23 years in the one spot, get to open another spot. And La Palette has now moved to a different location from Kensington Market. And so tell us about the location where it is now. Yeah, so now we're on Queen Street West, kind of a cultural backbone of the city, a place that's known for great food, great live music venues, great bars. Uh, uh, One of the two neighborhoods that I've hung out since I was a a young teenager uh, all my life. I think you hit on something really important, though, when we were talking about small business. And it's it's really, it's small business that makes the culture of a city, right? Mm-hmm. You inform the flavor of the street you're on and the city you're in. People are going to come from a, far and wide from across Canada and around the world to a city like Toronto, not to see another franchise. I'm not going to name names, but not to, to see the repeat cookie cutter strip mall garbage that you can find anywhere else. We're the ones that actually generate culture in our city, generate tourist dollars. And as, as much as we can recognize that, say, sports teams and arenas that have great live bands that are world famous will bring tourism and bring uh, dollars to a city and investment. We have to remember that it's, it's small business that makes the culture of a place. So for now, a neighborhood like Kensington Market, neighborhoods like Queen Street West are changing. Uh, that gentrification rears its ugly head all the time. Like you have to look at certain landlords that will only rent to these big, big ticket blue chip customers that that don't bring that extra element, that extra flavor. So if we want to keep our our main streets uh, vibrant and lively and cultural, then certainly uh, we we need to do more to support small business. Yeah, we ended up uh, having to choose in 2010 whether we're going to close all together. I just didn't. I'm too stubborn. I don't know what else to do. I'm like, <laughs> I've been working for myself for so long. No one else is going to hire me. Right. <laughs> I, always I, had that. I hear you. <laughs> I thought in the back of my head, it's like, ah, I can always go to List Select and they'll hire me back. They already hired me back three times. Uh, yeah. They'll hire a 50-year-old bartender. Uh, and, and then uh, they ended up, uh, you know, being sort of having their hand forced by wow. the pandemic and they had to sell. But they did own the building. They did. Right. Um, get to sell the business itself with all its channels and its wine cellar. So they they spent a half a century, a lifetime of work helping to create the dining scene in our city the way it is. And then they got their their just desserts at the end. They got to their fair share uh, when they did retire. But uh, yeah, anyway, back to your actual question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. This place, uh, La Palette on Queen Street, it's uh, it's the building is an old. Um, it was built as a stable for horses back in 1895. So the ceilings are 20 foot tall with glass windows showing Queen Street. There's an open kitchen and we live in an exciting time where we don't want our food made by 
minions in a dark basement somewhere that we never get to see. Instead, these guys get to be up here and show off their talents and they get to to feel the praise from the customers as they walk out the door saying, thank you, thank you, you guys are amazing. Uh, it's a fun building. We are a very bohemian place in that sense that uh, it's not your traditional stiff upper lip kind of bistro with formal service. If people come in here that are rude or unruly or belligerent, we will we will slap them in the face and make, they'll make sure they'll never feel welcome again. And we like to throw down wild parties where we have 16 piece brass bands playing standing on the bar after dinner service. And it, it really takes a special team who, who after eight, 10 hours of, of amazing service where from 60 chairs, we're feeding 200 people uh, instead of cutting loose at midnight and sitting down and finishing work, we kick it up a notch and throw a wild party. So if you're here on December 21st, we were talking about 22nd being the first day of winter. December 21st is the winter solstice. So just nearby in the market, you have the Festival of Lights, the lantern lit uh, parade and procession celebrating uh, winter in a very pagan way. And we're also going to have the entire Charlie Brown Christmas album done live at Drum Taberna. And at midnight, we'll have uh, Get Rambunctious. We're going to have a, a 16-piece party brass orchestra playing standing on the bar. So we'll we'll face the, the long, cold, dark winter with a smile on our face and a drink in our hands. That's great. That's a, a well. You should tell our yeah, our, our listeners while well, they're listening to us right now where they can find you online to get this sort of information where they can get uh, reservations, tickets, whatever they need. Yeah, sure. We're Lapalette uh, on Instagram. We're Lapalette Queen West. Uh, we're at four ninety two Queen West, and then Drum is Drum Taberna, uh, and we're at four fifty eight Queen West. So you can you can have your grown up fun and sit and have a nice steak uh, and fries. So apparently one of the best in town, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can uh, switch into your dancing shoes and uh, boogie till the wee wee hours, uh, just a block away. That's amazing. So when you say you're still like a working bartender, like are you physically involved in making the cocktail list? Or are you actually behind the wood on certain nights, or is it more of a man? management role for you now oh no that's management is boring i'm definitely <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where you that's where the fun is man like i'll do all that other stuff as a chore yeah but uh, but being behind the bars is my favorite place in the world like i said like creating opportunities for strangers to meet if i've got solo person here and solo person there who don't know each other i'm going to pour a shot for them both and one for myself and raise a glass and start a conversation uh, I did some funny things. I was just confessing to my old boss one of the things that uh, I had done when I was working brunch at uh, List Like Bistro in Queen West. I uh, It was kind of quiet in this beautiful old pewter bar. Uh, no one would come on Sunday afternoons at a certain time. So I filled a train with mimosas and Caesars and I walked down the block. <laughs> Please don't tell the liquor control. <laughs> uh, and I went to all the clothing stores on Queen Street, and it was, oh, hey man, like it's 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 all pretty girls that work there, and their managers, and there's a, a fun scene. And I went and I asked the manager, "Can I offer your staff drinks?" It's a dreary, cold Sunday afternoon in winter. Sunday shopping had kind of just begun, so it hadn't quite gotten traction yet. Uh, they'd only just changed uh the service we back then you couldn't serve liquor till noon on a sunday this oh, is i little, remember that yeah really nice <laughs> yeah. remember that yeah. uh then they switched it to 11 but in any case i would go and drop drinks at all the clothing stores uh, on our block 
and say, just bring the glass back yeah. to, to Little Leg Bistro. And of course, all their shops have closed at 5 p.m. They'd all bring their glasses back and stay and have a drink. Of course, yeah. <laughs> hey, this is such and such who works at Mephisto. Hey, this is such and such who, who works uh, at uh, Candy Belleville. And like, hey, all of a sudden, all these all these people who work on the same block, doors away from each other, never met each other, and they're in the same industry, in the same business, got to see each other, got to know each other, and become friends. So I didn't have to do that too many times before there was all of a sudden a whole scene, and my boss would come in and say, the hell's going on? Like, I've never seen the bar so full. It's all like just fashionable gay dudes and pretty girls. Like, <laughs> what are you, how did you do this? I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> right? But that's our job as a bartender. And I'm just and social. I'm just job. social. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a job I'll never get bored of by any means. So definitely I'll be standing behind the wood here. I do. Uh, we're more of a wine oriented place than a cocktail uh, bar and I I do get to choose the wines, but I want to get my staff involved in that as well. So whenever we have merchants come by, the, the great relationships that we have with, with small importers, I'm always making sure that my staff also get their chops and their education and their fun uh, up to par. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think, yeah. I think, uh, my, well, my wife is Polish and she has all these expressions about everything. And she says, the owner's eye fattens the cow. And uh, you always count on your staff to to go that extra mile and and make a fun place. That's great. You've got great staff then. Um, but often enough to if you're a small business, you're there as the owner, you will see things, you will do things instinctually that other people wouldn't think of. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I always worked in other bars and restaurants and treated them as if they were my own. And I want to empower my staff to feel the same in the best and most positive way. And and ultimately, like, I think that that is the most fun part about running a place is to get to every now and then take a step back and look around and see what a good time everyone's having and, and feel that energy and feel that vibe and, and be part of something bigger than yourself where you get to uh, really, like, create a space where people leave their troubles at the door and forget their worries and escape to a, a magic place, that third space where they can be free. Ah, well, that's a perfect way to end it, Shemaz. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And obviously, like your attitude about the industry is, is something we should all be checking out and copying, frankly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah. So I appreciate the invitation, man. Thanks no. for the interest. And, and, and thanks for doing what you do and, and actually bigging up our industry because... Uh, because it's, it's not an easy one, but it can be really rewarding if you have it, have the right attitude, right? <laughs> well, and you certainly do. So uh, everybody check out La Palette and Dom Taverna you know, if you're coming to Toronto. And um, Shemez, thanks again. Thanks for doing this. What an absolute pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, you as thanks, well. Thanks very much. That was great. 